recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Anoj. Um, I've become near PCC for a long time. Um, and it's a privilege to, to share with you from, from God's Word. Um, if you're new, maybe you're joining us for the first time. Um, again, as Susan said, a warm welcome to you. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and we've gone through chapter by chapter. And we're up to now chapter 5. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. We're going to read it together. It's only about seven verses. Uh, we're going to read the first part of chapter 5. And then um, next week we'll continue on from there into chapter 6. Um, but by way of opening, I just wanted to kind of share a story that kind of gets us thinking about what's um, going to be, be unpacked in our passage this morning. I remember when I was in uni, um, I was part of a uni ministry um, that was very big on, on things like, you know, obviously spending time in the Word and um, fellowship with other believers. And one of the things I, I learned the importance of was um, being in um, a small group of accountability, people, brothers in your life who can encourage you and challenge you in, in, in your own walk with God. Um, and so I remember me and a couple of my mates, uh, we were really challenged by this. And so eventually it was about four or five of us, we got together and we said, okay, we're going to do this accountability thing. We're going to meet every single week. We're going to, you know, go to Macca's or go to a park, whatever it might be. We're going to eat together, um, which kind of explains the belly that I still have. Um, and we're going to enjoy fellowship together and challenge one, one another. We're going to ask each other um, poignant questions, share out what's going on in our lives. And it was great. Um, we started and, and we, we went through this for probably about um, a number of months, maybe even um, close to a year. But by the time we got to the end of the year, what we realized was that we were still doing it every single week. Uh, we were still sharing, we were still asking each other questions. But if we're honest with ourselves, most of us were kind of not really into it. It was like, oh, it's something I had to do. Um, I know it's good for me, so I'm just going to do it. But somewhere along the line, we had, lo- we had lost the reason why. We had lost the right heart for that accountability group. And this morning in our, in our passage, what the teacher is going to do, he's going to challenge us in a similar way when it comes to worship, having the right heart for worship. Now, when I talk about worship this morning, I want to put a kind of a caveat out there. Um, I'm going to refer particularly to what you could call public or private worship um, or corporate and personal worship, namely what we do here and in Connect Groups where we gather with other believers, we read the word together, we share and encourage one another, as well as what we do personally where we spend time with the Lord in prayer reading his word, maybe whipping out a guitar and singing those things as well in personal worship. Now we understand and we know that worship, all of life ought to be done as worship to God and that's true Um, and I think a lot of what we learned this morning will apply to that as well Uh, but for the sake of time we're going to just focus purely on on those two aspects uh, particularly because I think that's what the teacher is focusing on as well in our passage. Um, so if you want to join me, as I said, uh, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're reading the first seven verses. This is what it says. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. 
It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the works of your hands? Much streaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. This morning we're going to do three things. We're going to take three things from this passage. Uh, first, we're going to look at what, what I'm going to call foolish worship or the, the worship uh, or the sacrifice of fools, to use the language of the teacher. Looking at the, the heart behind uh, an approach to worship and, and vow making and things like that, um, that's perhaps displeasing um, or dishonoring to God, um, what he describes as meaningless. We're then going to look at the posture of worship. What should our hearts look like uh, when we come to, to worship God, whether it be publicly or privately? Um, and then thirdly, we're going to look at the heart of worship? What's the heart that underpins this posture? How do we we get ourselves to be um, in a place where we can have this posture? So we're looking at uh, foolish worship, the posture of worship, and the heart of worship. And I've entitled today's message, The Heart of Worship, as per our third point. Let me pray, um, and then we'll, we'll dive into it this morning. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that this is your word. Um, and Lord God, it, it speaks even um, to us today in, in, in a number of ways, Lord. And we just pray that as we unpack your word, I pray that you would help us to have hearts that are soft and, and willing to listen um, to, to what you're going to say to us through your word. Uh, Father, I pray that I would be faithful to, to you and to your word as I speak. Um, and Lord God, that your people would be encouraged um, and challenged in, in, in our walks um, from um, this morning service in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump into the first point, foolish worship. In, 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 this, in this passage, the, the, the teacher goes to, to a great length to highlight, I guess, what, what improper worship or what inappropriate heart um, is behind what he calls the sacrifice of fools. So we see that in verse 1 um, and the second half of verse 1 in verse 2. He says, Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. And what he's really getting at here is is, um, a thoughtless or a careless approach towards coming before God. Um, He's talking about um, us coming before God and saying things. In this context, he's talking about the making of vows, um, perhaps even offering sacrifices, without really thinking about what we're doing, without really having a, a conscious thought towards it. Now, we have to stop for a little bit and understand, I guess, what Old Testament worship was like, because that's the context to which the teacher is initially speaking. Now, in the Old Testament, um, the, the, the center point you could think of, of worship was the temple. That was a place where everyone came um, regularly at different points of the year or different festivals to, to come and to worship God um, at the temple. And when they came, there was a, a number of things that had to happen. Uh, there was a number of things that had to be done. And one of the main things that was done was the offering of sacrifices. Either them or, or, or the priests on their behalf would offer sacrifices to God as part of their worship. And it was an important part of their worship. It wasn't something to be done flippantly or without thought. It was, it was, a, it was a, um, an expression really of devotion or it ought to have been um, in their worship of God. Listen to what John Watts, who's a, a theologian and an um, Old Testament Bible scholar in the 1900s, he says this about Old Testament worship. He says, uh, sacrifice, sorry. He says, sacrifice in ancient times was the means by which men expressed their deepest and most significant religious experiences, resolves, and understandings. This was serious business, right? When they make sacrifices, it's not something you just, you're supposed to just do for the sake of it. It was, it was supposed to be an expression of devotion to God, their, 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 their Lord and, and, and their, their God. 
And, and that was a part of their worship. That was part of something that they did. And another thing that used to be part of that or part of that worship was sometimes the making of vows. Now, God didn't demand that they made vows necessarily, but they were always open and, and, and welcome to do so. And we see in the Old Testament, there's a number of times where people make vows to God. Some of them are great and they're, they're wonderful, beautiful vows. Some of them are a little bit more um, difficult. For example, we see in Samuel uh, where Hannah was praying before God and, and, and she said, look, if you, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to you. And lo and behold, she gives birth to Samuel um, and she dedicates him to, to serve God at the temple. But then you have another story, for example, which you may not have heard of in Judges, a guy by the name of Jephthah, I think I pronounced that right, where he says to God, if, if you give me victory over um, this, this nation, I will, I will sacrifice to you as a burnt offering whatever comes out of my house when I return. And he comes home and the first thing that comes out of his house is his one and only daughter. Um, and he's, 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 he's upset, he's broken because he realizes, oh no, I've made a vow to God and I have to fulfill it, but this is my beloved one and only daughter. We see people making vows and some of them are, are, are wonderful, they're beautiful, some of them are quite painful, um, but regardless of what it is, God demands that they hold true to their vow. And so we see in the second half of our passage that the teacher says exactly that. If you make a vow, don't delay to fulfill it. It's better that you don't make the vow than make one and not fulfill it. There's, there's, there ought to be a thoughtfulness that goes into it. It's not a flippant thing that you do when you make a vow or offer sacrifice to God. And so we, we, we see that the teacher is getting at is, is, is this, this thoughtless or careless approach to worship where we're saying things we don't, we don't mean. We're, we're using a lot of words and we're, we're talking, but we haven't actually thought about what we're doing. There's no real heart behind it. The mouth might be moving. There might be words, vows or sacrifices. Things might be given, but the heart's not really there. And so perhaps this morning, maybe you're sitting here and you're wondering, okay, well, I don't come to church and make vows. I mean, I'm not standing up here and saying, God, I'll give you everything if you do X, Y, Z. Some of us do, but maybe most of us um, don't recognize. But I hope what we'll see this morning is that we too have a, have a similar call when it comes to worshiping God. See, in the Old Testament, the worship was predominantly focused around being at the temple. But we know as Christians that we no longer have to come to a building to worship our God. We, we do come to church on, on a Sunday and it's awesome, but we can come into God's presence anywhere at any time, in our homes, in our cars, on the train, wherever we are, we can come in before God, into God's presence and, and speak with him and commune with him. And so these apply to that as well. Take, for example, when we sing songs. You know, we, one of the things that I know a lot of us love and what we miss about our current um, stage or place in the world is that we can't sing. When we come together, we, we can't sing. But I know if you're anything like me, so many times I've come to church and, and I know, okay, the first thing we do is we sing. And so we stand up and we raise our hands and we sing. But if I'm honest, the words that we're singing, my heart's not really engaged with that sometimes. Sometimes we sing because that's the thing that we do. We know that's what to do. And we have moments where, yes, we, we, we do that with, in, with intentionality. But sometimes we're, we're, we're singing the words, our eyes are closed, our hands are raised, but we're thinking about lunch or our plans for the afternoon. Or we're thinking about all the stresses about what's happening in the week. We're not really thinking about what we're singing. And, and when we look at the Bible, we see that singing is, is offering a sacrifice of praise to God. And yet we're doing that sometimes without our hearts being engaged. Or how about maybe when it comes to Bible reading? Again, we know that we should as believers be in reading God's word. This is God's word. It speaks. It's alive. It's active. 
But when we come to read his word, whether it be corporately here or in connect groups or privately by ourselves, do we come and read with it with a heart that's soft, that's wanting to listen? Or do we do it because it's something that we just think we have to do? Um, because we know that as Christians, oh, we need to read our Bible every single day. So I'm just going just gonna to skim through it for, for five minutes and then I've, I've ticked the box. Or do we pray with a similar attitude where we say, okay, I know I should pray and I know there might be some benefit to it. But again, our hearts aren't really engaged. Or maybe this morning uh, we've we've come to church and we know, yes, as Christians, we should be going to church. But have we come with the attitude of, oh, this is the opportunity to worship together with fellow believers to our amazing God? Or do we come because it's just another box to tick? There's nothing else to do on a a Sunday morning. Um, I've had my sleep and say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll come and I'll be here. We too, in many ways, fall into the temptation of worshipping, quote-unquote, our God, but we can do it sometimes without the heart that's um, engaged behind it. And whether we realise it or not, sometimes this can be more prevalent in our hearts in some seasons than in others um, as we live. And so, on that backdrop then, we've got to ask ourselves the question, well then, what should our hearts be like? What, What should our posture be like when we come to worship God, and that brings us to our second point this morning, the, the posture of worship. And the teacher highlights in our passage this morning, I think, two things that ought to, to shape our hearts, or two, th- two um, I guess, characteristics that our hearts ought to have when we come to worship God, again, whether it be here or whether it be privately with our, our God in, in, in private. And those two things are firstly reverence and humility. Let's look at the first one here in reverence. Um, he, he looks, listen to what he says in verse 1. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Again, let's, let's pause again and think back to what Old Testament worship was like. The temple was the place where, where they believed God's presence resided, right? So you had the, the outer courts, which is where the priests and Levites would offer sacrifices. You had the holy place a little bit further in, uh, where only the priests could go and they'd offer daily sacrifices there. And then inside, you had the holy of holies, where only the, the high priest could go only once per year with a blood sacrifice to offer um, a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And in the Holy of Holies, it was, it was the place where they, they, they believed that God's presence resided or tabernacle, where he tabernacled amongst his people, where he dwelt amongst his people. And so what the writer is doing is he's reminding them, hey, when you're going there, there should be a, a preparedness in the heart. You're not going to a friend's house. You're not going to the local park. You're not going um, to some other, but you're going to the place where God dwells. If I can illustrate it this way in a bit of a humorous way, um, I, I, I work in the city and so my office is about probably a, a three minute walk from Wynyard Station. Um, and, I, and, I, and I walk this every single day, the same path without fail, rain, hail or shine. And so often I don't really think about what I'm doing, I'm just walking. Um, but a couple of times last year I noticed on the ground there was, um, I don't know what you'd call it, it's kind of like a, a covering, they're, they're doing construction work. Um, there was a covering that wasn't quite flush with the ground, and three or four times I rolled my ankle as I was walking, right? And originally I was like, oh yeah, first time fine, second time fine. But after a couple of times, I realized that as I was walking, I was more conscious of what I was doing. I was walking past this place where there was a, a, a trip hazard. I was guarding my step because I was conscious of what I was doing. I wasn't just doing it blindly. And it's the same kind of idea that when we come to worship God, there ought to be that 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 
um, intentional reverence of heart, that we're coming to worship God, whether we're here together, whether we're personally in our, in our own uh, prayer closets, but we're coming into the presence of God and there ought to be a, a conscious, uh, reverent heart that goes with it. There was pre- this preparation that, of heart that needs to be done. And so much so that the, the writer finishes our, our passage this morning where he says, don't worry about you know, blabbering lots of words. That, that's meaningless. Instead, he says, therefore, fear God. The proper heart posture was a healthy um, reverence and fear of God. And the second thing that the, um, the teacher highlights in verse 1 and 2 is that our hearts ought to be humble before God. Listen again. We read it a little bit earlier. He says, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. In fact, he goes on and he says, God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. In other words, the teacher is saying, don't just come rushing into God's presence, just willing to, to, to rattle off a shopping list of things that you want from God. Come before him willing to listen. Again, part of Old Testament worship was there was not only something to be done like the offering of sacrifices, but often um, the law and the, the, the te- Old Testament prophets would be read out and people would sit there and they would listen to, to, to um, the, the reading of, of the law and the prophets. Again, he's saying come, and come with a heart that wants to listen. Why? Because God is in heaven. We're on earth. There's a humility that's got to, that's got to um, garner our hearts. We're, we're, we're on earth. God is in heaven. So we ought to come with few words. He doesn't say don't bring your words. He doesn't say don't bring your prayers. He doesn't say don't come and, and make your request before God. But he says come but have few words. Come to listen. Come with a, a heart of humility. And friends, that's the same again for us this morning. When we come to worship God, whether it be here, whether it be privately, do we have that heart posture? Do we come with a reverence for God? Do we come with humility? I think so often, because as Christians, we know that, yes, we can be intimate with God. We don't have to use formal language, and we don't have to use these and thous and thys. We can, we can come before God, but so often we, we, we can um, mistake having intimacy for God for being a little bit irreverent or careless. Being intimate with God doesn't mean that we don't have the right heart. It doesn't mean we don't come with humility. It absolutely means we should. We should come into worship our God, whether we're singing songs, whether we're encouraging one another in their, in, in their faith, whether we're sitting under, under God's word being preached or read together, whether we're praying, we ought to come with a heart and remember this is the God that we are serving. But so often, it's hard, isn't it? I mean, you might listen this morning and you might say, okay, I'm going to change, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be different, I'm going to have the right heart, and then by Wednesday you open your Bible and it's going to be really difficult. Friday, that's sometimes a long time away, right? How do we, how as people do we get, um, how can we do this consistently? How do we get a, a heart that wants to worship God with the right posture? Which brings us to our third um, and final point this morning, the heart of worship. Listen to, again, we read a little bit before the second half of verse two. Listen to what he says. He says, God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Notice what, what the teacher doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey, you should have you know, the, the right heart for worship because God will then bless you. He doesn't say you should have the right heart because um, you've been told to do it, so you need to obey, and obedience is the ultimate goal. He doesn't say you need to do that because if you do that, then you'll be, you'll be, um, you know, God will be happy with you, and therefore you'll go to heaven. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He says he, he roots the, um, the reason for why their hearts need to be in the right place in who they're worshiping. 
They're worshipping God. This is God. who He's in heaven. It's, it's not like you're worshipping someone else. He's God who's in heaven. And because of who he is and where he is and his character, that's why we ought to be reverent and humble. In other words, what he's saying is that the, the object of our worship ought to fuel the heart of worship. That when we reflect on who it is we're worshipping, the God that we're worshipping, that ought to fuel our heart to worship him in the right way. Now, that's important. That's, that's, that's a good start. But when we step back again and look at the wider counsel of Old Test, the Old Testament, we see that there's, there's more to it. There's more to it that's supposed to garner the heart of the Old Testament believer. See, it's the, correct, the correct place is to start by remembering who it is. But we see so many times in, Old, in the Old Testament, that's not just a remembrance of who God is, but it's a remembrance of what God has already done. So, for example, we see in Exodus 20, we all know the Ten Commandments. Many of us grew up in Sunday school and we could recite them. But I don't know if you, if you notice that the, 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 the chapter doesn't start with, you shall have no other gods before me. The chapter starts by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and then it launches into the first command. Moreover, in, in, in Deuteronomy, again, when we get a, a recap of all of the, the laws that God's given to his people, in chapter 10 and 11, there's an extensive section there which is, is calling Israel to, to, to revere God, to, to love him and to um, be obedient to him. And in that section, if we had time, we could read all of it. It, it tells him again and again to remember what God has done. God has taken them out of slavery um, in Egypt, out of, out of bondage, out of um, this place of, uh, this horrendous place of slavery and freed them. And because of what he's done, they should pass that on to the next generation. They should teach that to their kids. They should, you know, write it on their hearts and minds and have it um, tied to their doorposts is what it says. They, they, there's a, there's a, throughout the Old Testament, we see that the right heart for worship when it comes to the temple, when it comes to worshiping God, is to be rooted in who God was and what he had already done. There was, a, there was a, a deep connection between the fact that the God that they serve, Yahweh, was the, the name of, that God gave, that he gave to them when he called them out of Egypt, when he redeemed them from slavery. And friends, this morning, as Christians, we too have a similar thing to reflect on. Because in, in the Old Testament, in this passage, he says, you know, God is in heaven and you are on earth. But we know that a couple of thousand years later, God came from heaven to earth. And God came to, 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 to be and dwell amongst his people in the flesh. He came and, he, um, and on, on, when he came to this earth, he, he came and he lived amongst us. He experienced the sufferings we experienced. He, he went through the, the temple worship that the old ancient Jewish people used to do. Tim, if you want to jump up. The, the, us, for us as Christians, we have something greater to reflect on because we see that Jesus, when he lived, he lived this life of suffering amongst his people that led him ultimately to the cross. And the reason why he went to the cross was to offer himself as a blood sacrifice for the atonement or the forgiveness of sins. That's the, that's the, the, the God that we, we remember, the God who didn't just enjoy and, and stay in the comforts of heaven, but emptied himself and came to this earth 
to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. And because of what he is, it's because of who he is and what he's done. That's why we are gathered together. That's why we, we can come before God wherever we are in prayer. That's why we can open up scripture and read and have a deep and intimate relationship and communion with our God because Jesus has gone into the ultimate holy of holies. He's gone, he's offered his own blood once for all for the forgiveness of all of our sins so that now we, if we're in Christ, we are pure, we are holy in his sight, we can come and commune with him. Friends, this morning, when we, when we, when we, we think about that more, when, we, when that truth and the beauty of that sinks deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts, that's where we're going to find the heart to then worship God in the right way. To the, to the degree that we see and behold the beauty of what Christ has done, is that to that degree our hearts will be molded to worship God with the right heart. Friends, that's the, the, the key this morning. The heart of worship is one that is transformed by remembering our Savior who has offered himself and created a way for us to be restored to the Father. And because of that, we then, yes, we worship him together. Whether we sing, whether we pray, whether we encourage one another, whatever we do, we do it as worship because we are united to him. I want to invite you to bow your heads. I'm just going to read the words of this song, which I think encapsulates it quite amazingly about what worship is. It's, the song is the heart of worship. Most of you would know it. I'm going to read it out and then we'll spend some time praying. The song says, When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Father, Lord, we come before you. We thank you that we have the opportunity to gather as your holy people, as your beloved people. We thank you that we can come and yes, we can sing, um, at least maybe not for now, but we can sing. We can pray. We can listen and read your word. We can encourage one another. We can enjoy you. We thank you that we can do that because of who you are. Lord, we're sorry for the times where we've done things with an empty heart. We're sorry for the Lord for the times where we've just gone through the motions, where we've done the things that we just know we should do without really thinking about who it is we're worshipping. And Father, we thank you that you didn't just give us rules to follow. You, you gave us a person. You gave us Jesus who left the comforts of heaven to come and, and dwell amongst us and, and be the living sacrifice for us. And because of what Jesus has done, we can now worship you from wherever we are with our hearts in truth and in spirit. We thank you, God, for that privilege and pray. Lord, I pray that you, you would help us to hold that truth deep in our hearts. Lord, would you press deep into our hearts the beauty of, of you, Lord Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, and let that fuel our heart to worship you with sincerity, with integrity, with honesty, with passion, with love, with affection. Father, I pray that, Lord God, what you have done will, will so encapture our heart, encapsulate our hearts, that we, our hearts will be on fire for you, that, Lord, we would jump out of bed on a Sunday morning as we come to worship with your people. We would, we would get excited for our times where we can spend praying and reading your word and communing with you personally as well as corporately. Lord, we pray that you would fan into a flame 
that heart. Lord, we pray that you forgive us for making it about something, anything other than that. And Lord, we pray that you draw us back to yourself this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.